Hi, and welcome to VerityCast, the professional's podcast. Please join us as we talk with real people about their most valued secrets of leadership, business tips, and success. These days, I'm sure you've heard the phrase, We're living in the cloud, or your reporting should be real-time and hence with big data. Yet, are you really doing that? And is your company really doing that? In my experience, I have to say, to a large extent, not really. Why is that? Have you ever wondered why there is such great technology available, but very little of it seems to be available in your own company? Today on VerityCast, we'll be exploring that exact idea with Nortec's CTO, Darren Danforth. Hi, welcome to VerityCast. This is Chris Tavish, your host, and today I'm being joined by Darren Danforth, CTO of Nortech. And boy, Darren, you were Vice President of Strategy and Operations at Copart, CFO of Information Technology at Visa and Gap, leadership positions with Symantec and PeopleSoft. Sounds like you've had a lot of leadership in the IT space. It's great to have you on the show. Great. Thank you very much for having me, Chris. And uh Yes, it's been a colorful background. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of experience and, and very relevant to what we're going to talk about today. So one of the things I know that's near and dear to your heart, of course, in having all these leadership positions is, you know, we live in a world of rapidly changing technology. And uh, for any company to succeed going forward, it's I think it's a given these days that they have to embrace that technology. And part of embracing is being able to adapt and change. And But a lot of these companies can't. It's very difficult for companies to take that and and change and, and, and implement this new technology. And I know that's something that is, uh, is you work on a day-to-day basis trying to transform these. So, um, I, you know, w- 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 I'm curious, what could you tell us about that in terms of why is it so hard for these companies to do that? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, fortunately, my experience, especially over the past 15 years, has been all around transformation of IT organizations, and all for different reasons. It, it, a lot of it has to do with the hope of companies will be in a different position X period of time from now, and they want to make sure that they're ready to be a bigger company or a global company. And and it's very and, and my findings have been that it's been very difficult for organizations to get the internal inertia to be able to kind of pull that off. There's there's so many factors that are involved in allowing a company to change its existing platform to engage with either new technologies or just to radically shift and change its own platform to to a different platform. Which, which is interesting, right? Because you think about, you know, going into the, the reasons why, but basically if a company, I mean, would you agree if a company isn't out there, you know, having a, a social presence, having an online ordering system, they're going to die, right? They're going to die. Mean, yeah. I, yeah. I, I make it really clear that every single decision that gets made within a company structure typically has a technology component to it. So IT just isn't IT anymore. It's technology across the board to enable the business either to work more effectively externally with its customers or work internally with its business partners more effectively. So it's every decision that gets made, there's a touch in technology. Interesting. So it's it's technology enabling business versus it's the IT department. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that, okay. it's that, that transformation we've been seeing the last 10 years or so, we knew... When we started 20 years ago, we were just a support function. Now you are enab- you should be an enablement function. You should be able to be at the table with the executives deciding what is the best way to present information, provide information, 
alter the course of a product by leveraging technology. And that's where your CIOs, your CTOs sit at that table and say, you know, that's a great idea. This is kind of how we do that. Okay. So, so we've, we've embraced the being a technology enables business. Uh, so, but still, it's so difficult. What are what are some of the reasons why it's still difficult for these companies to transform with technology? Yeah, Chris, it's uh, you know I, I see it as three specific areas. I, I think the largest one is for large enterprise companies. We don't look at establishing a let's just say an ERP from from the beginning. What we've done is we we have purchased a product and we have continued to add on to it. So we have very heavily customized environments that we're constrained against. So if you've bought an ERP, you have probably bought subset applications to work for HRIS, for supply chain management, for PLM, and they all have to talk or interact. And the way that all those interact and talk are through development, you know, internally developed or customized developed environments. So it's not as easy as pulling things apart and starting from scratch because your processes and your applications are far more intertwined. So it's very difficult for large operations to shift off of that internally developed platform. And I've seen that a lot with Oracle upgrades, SAP upgrades. The cost to do that outweighs the cost of actually going and buying a new instance. But companies won't make that investment because they've got to change their business processes. You have more than just an ERP at stake. You have an HRS at stake, a CRM. You have all these cons- uh, complementary applications that go along with it. So, so a heavily customized environment I see is a, a huge impediment to to kind of bracing new technology. So it's 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 kind of it, now. I guess the question is. Is it the fear? So what you're saying is, hey, we have the the, peop- the application, the CRM, the application that the salespeople use. If they change that, then it's going to impact the application that the finance people use because they're the ones, you know, recognizing revenue and that kind of thing. I guess the question is, is it the fear that they're going to impact something? Is it the actual cost of that, or is it just the oh my gosh, it's a, <laughs> it's kind of like you know, uh, changing your back patio, right? You yeah. Know, there's a lot of cement you need to use, or you need to dig up, or dirt you need to change around to get the new patio. But some of that's just like, oh, that's a lot to do. It, it could be, you know, it could make your increase the value of your home. It could do all those things. But what do you think is the underlying fear of that? Yeah, I think it, it, it's it's a lot of work, and I think it is the disruption to the business at the end of the day that's challenging. At larger companies, you have to get that buy-in from all parts of the organization. So at Symantec, you know, we went through a what, what we call a, a commerce life cycle where we you know brought in all the organizations. We were looking at a rewrite of Oracle and the focus was on each individual business unit defining their needs and how a business process would change and impact those needs so that we could get off of a heavily customized environment. We could get into a more out-of-the-box functionality for Oracle as long as we align business processes. And it was just extremely challenging. It's different internal needs for organizations. They have requirements that they feel, this is exactly the way I need to run my business. And we just never land on consensus with, well, can you live with 80% of that because that 20% you know, we want to give to a greater corporate platform as opposed to each individual business unit needs. So I think it's business disruption is probably the biggest uh, roadblock as to why people will continue to live within the same technology. I think that costs are an issue, but I think the problem with the cost is I don't think you 
I think most organizations struggle to find total cost of doing that because they know they're going to upgrade an ERP, but they don't quite understand what all of that touches because most of the times these environments are not really well defined or laid out. And what I mean by that is I don't have system or logical mappings that take me to when I, you know, when I touch this system, what does it actually break down the line? Yeah, and it's, it's hard. It's to get a tangible fixed number. Very hard. Yeah. Very hard. Now, you said something very interesting in that, hey, I have my process and I can't change that to become standard, quote unquote, out of the box functionality. Why do you think that is? Is it really that a, a business is that special or? Yeah, you know, my background allows me, because I've been in very different verticals, right? So I've been in retail, I've been in software sales, I've been in construction, uh, you know, I, I've done financial services, e-commerce, so I've been in a lot of different backgrounds and, and I think of these as widgets. So to me, you know, I manage widgets. You know, I, I don't think that I have seen a business that is that unique that couldn't change their process or alter their process to fit out of box or what I call vanilla functionality. Mm-hmm. I think it's the desire, again, it comes down to disruption to the business, it's what you do with what you're comfortable with, you know, it's it's very challenging for companies to break that. Yeah. And, and, and again, this is where, for instance, I like to leverage third parties because they come in with a completely neutral view, right? They are not, they're not they're not aspired to keep you running on your current environment. They want to do what's best for the organization. They theoretically have an understanding of the, the application that you're putting in place, and they want to know it, you know they know how it works out of the box. And that's really the path. That's the path that you want to choose. It, in a lot of cases, it sounds like it really comes down to human nature, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does. It, I just yeah. don't want to stop doing what I'm doing, even though it could be easier, even though it could change my save the company money. A lot of it really does come down to that basic element. And it's, it's you know, it's we live in a technology touch world now. So, so you go home and you don't, you have technology. Children today have grown up with technology. They don't know anything different. You know, if you ask a child today, they're going to pick up a phone and they're going to do video calls. They're, you know, phone calls are going to be a thing of the past. I'm trying to get rid of email. You know, with all the collaborations, tools, everything that's out there, we should be able to have more direct conversation with people so you minimize emails, right? So, so we live in a world where you, you work in technology, you come home, you have technology, it's everywhere you go. So the maturation or the adoption level of technology is dramatically different in the past 10 years as it was the prior 10 to 20 years when we were just adopting and you were just getting email at home. Yeah, well, and, Pong, it's overwhelming. I need a couple of weeks yeah, to absorb right. it. Yeah, right. And, it, you know, it's things I still struggle with. I mean, I, I, uh, OneDrive is a, is, a, is a really good example of a tool that allows you to have, you know, all your files wherever you're out in the world, as long as you have an internet connection. Hmm. And trying to get people to understand that, it's kind of like Office 365 or, or Gmail. You know, these are opportunities for businesses to, from an end user's perspective, to have everything you need wherever you are in the world, as long as you have an internet connection. And, and your, everything is accessible. Your, your mail, your, your files, you know, everything you need is theoretically accessible without having a device. And, and it should be you know, device agnostic. So that mentality, that's where the end users, that, that's where we kind of need to take the solution to. Yeah, and it, it's funny. You know, it, it's especially hard to, uh, for anybody who's tried to get their parents to adopt technology. Yeah. Especially, and you can see that is probably a micro... Um, 
view of what a business goes through. Like, no, mom, you can access your files anywhere. Well, I like to have my files right here where, mom, I'm telling you, anywhere you go, you can access. No, I want them on my computer. And so um, it's just, uh, it, it's funny how it just comes back to that human element. Yeah. So, um, okay, so so you talked about, you know, the, the, the problem in terms of, you know, might be heavily customized. They might have taken their process the way that they do things and customize that solution. Or there's some cost. They've invested so much into that into that infrastructure already. It's like, wow, we got to change again. And there's probably a lot of the fear of the change and that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think uh, the other two points that I think that drive behaviors or, or lack of behavior around transformation is, like you said, sunk cost. You know, if you look at capital assets that are either fully depreciated or they're still being depreciated, like, you know, typically an ERP is de- depreciated over a seven-year period of time, those assets are continuing to stay on companies' books. And theoretically, you know, that cost is still being borne out through the operating expense. So the environment I'm in today, 80% of my equipment is end of life for. So now I've got to go find ways to get funding available to go buy assets to replace assets that are reaching their life. It's going to impact their P&L. There is a, a strategic decision that we have to make at an executive level that we're going to make an investment to do that. And that's a challenge for a lot of companies, whether it's the initial capital outlay or the ongoing P&L hit from, from the assets. So it's like it's almost like uh, looking at a new car that says, hey, it has GPS, it's got integrated phone system. When I'm sitting there like, hey, I've got a perfectly good 1982 Dodge in the garage. Yeah, but Chris, it doesn't do all of the things, things you need, need but I'm do. still paying for it, right? right. We have oil changes, maintenance, right. whatever. Now I'm like, and now I'm going to buy another car? And then you settle on, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do the oil changes. I'm going to give it an overhaul. I'm going to get a new engine. You keep feeding that beast. Well, the problem is the chassis, the real engine is still you know, 10 years old, 20 years old, right? And all you're doing is feeding it until it, until it breaks. Yeah. And, and a lot of companies go through that There's because the, if you keep in mind, Typical IT spend within an organization under the GNA umbrella is typically 35 to 40 percent of GNA. And GNA is finance, real estate, all the support functions in a company, the general administrative cost. IT is the biggest part of that. So it's a huge number because if you look at any, you look at market analysis, you look at uh, how the street reviews things, they always focus on GNA cost. Your GNA costs are too high. Your G&A costs are 10% of revenue. It needs to be 8%. Well, how do you get that down? Well, outside of IT, it's people. It's people that work in finance, HR, uh, real estate, you know, legal. HR, you have all this gear. You have all this depreciable expense that sits there that adds up in addition to your contracts, your maintenance expense, your people, you know, the, the cost to feed and, and actually operate AT. So when an analyst call talks about lowering G&A, if I'm a CIO, I'm saying, okay, that's me, you know, because yeah. I am G&A. I'm 40% right. of the, the G&A cost. So that's where sunk cost becomes so critical and why variable cost models work so much better today. And I think that's what we're all trying to get to. With technologies as they are today, you either outsource certain infrastructure services. And, 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 sorry, Darren, but just so, back up a little bit. Um, when Can you define for our listeners when you talk about a fixed cost model yeah. versus a variable sure. cost model, just conceptually? Certainly. So a fixed cost is typically cost that you know you're going to incur every single day, 365 days a year, and, and you know that and you budget for that. So that's contractual cost. Typically, you would you would have salary in there, so you'd have employees in that cost as well. 
You would have uh, the travel and the employee-related expenses for those individuals. You would have you know, software expenses, office supplies, things of that nature. Depreciation typically is, is, again, part of what is a fixed cost. So going back to our car analogy, this is like the payment because I own the car, yep. the oil changes, things of ownership that would go into that would be part of that fixed cost. You know you're going to pay it every single month right. or every 10,000 miles, you're going to have that. Right. Yeah. And then variable costs in that same analogy, theoretically, could be fuel. I just I can't drive as much. I need to use public transportation. Yeah. I'm not going to pay that much for gas. Or I have satellite radio. Yeah. And maybe I can't have satellite radio now because that's $6.99 a month and I can't pay it. Right. So variable costs are the parts of the organization like staff org consultants, consultant fees that you can shift up and down and you either do have to spend it or don't have to spend it. Are you thinking about the the software as a service models in that in yeah, variable clearly, as well? Clearly. Yeah. Clearly, right? Cuz you pay as you go. That that's the concept is you you want to get as much variable cost in your organization as possible, right? Yeah. And you want to have as least amount of fixed cost as possible. And that's very hard for most organizations cuz typically you're looking at a 75% a fixed cost to a, and a 25% variable cost. And when you're asked to pull levers because business is either moving up or moving down, uh, you know, whatever factors allow uh, um, leadership to direct an IT budget to, to go one way or the other, you only have 25% to pull that lever. So it's a very, it's very difficult to do without, you know, a longer period of time to plan for it. Yeah. Uh, I think that the the goal, like you said, is to shift to you know SaaS-based applications, IaaS, uh, platforms as a service. You know, utilize services that allow you to pay as you go, so you only pay for what you consume. And theoretically, you're not making any upfront payments, so you're not making any capital investment into these models today. You actually are leveraging uh, you know, someone else's platform to do that. It's yeah. like, who wants to be in the data center business unless that is what you do? I don't want to be in a data center business. I'm an air management company, you know, and I need data, but I don't want to own data centers. I don't want to own IT equipment. I want to leverage someone else that can do that far more effectively than I can do it, and I want to sit on their platforms, whether that's, you know, Amazon Web Services or Google Cloud or or uh, Azure, right? Right. Yeah, and even in a small company, right, so obviously large companies you see much more of an impact the small company, my experience is, uh, you know, we pay for an application up front in the fixed cost world where, like you said, it's all cash outlay typically yeah. once a year or something like that. And then it's and then you're depreciating it, seeing it hit your P&L every month versus, you know, we're living in the cloud environment. And at one point in time, we had, let's just say, 15, you know, 20 users on the application. But you pay for each user you have. So, you know, we need to scale back costs. Let's get it to 10. Then we'll figure out a process where those 10 users touch the application and it reduces that monthly nut that you have to come up with because you're on a variable, something that you can't control, and to your point, pull those levers. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But So that gets you out of the sunk cost, cost. The, one, the second one, that right. where it's not really sunk. It's just uh, it's like leasing the car. Right. And all of a sudden, you don't buy half the car. You lease the car, and, and, and with leased cars, similar with the software as a service, a lot of those services are provided. You drive yep. it back to the dealership. They do the oil they changes, the and then you just turn it over, and you say, hey, I want a new, a new car after yep. three years or so on and so forth. Yeah. And then the third area that I see that, that constraining is, is just the talent. So it's the internal skill set. It's, it, you know, you, you have people that are, from an IT perspective, understand your technology either on the development side or on the infrastructure side and know how to support it and knows how it runs. The challenging part of that is they know your environment. And depending on 
for instance, some of the environments that I've been responsible for are very aged technology, 15, 20 years old technology. So my skill set internal to my organization only knows that. They don't understand the biggest problem that I'm seeing, and I, I think everyone is faced with this, is being able to develop internally developed applications and making them work in cloud-based environments. I've seen this firsthand working with Azure and with Amazon Web Services. So I have an internal application that I'm using that I have developed in-house to work for me on my current system, and now I don't want to buy hardware anymore. I want to move that to a cloud-based service. It can't just be picked up and moved. Mm-hmm. Because it was, it may have been developed for an AS400 environment. Um, it can't work. There's a different way of developing services to operate in a cloud. Uh, and I think okay. that's a huge void. I'm trying to find Azure experts right now because I'm the, the company that I'm with, we made a strategic decision to put a lot of our applications in Azure. It's very difficult to find those people that know how to do that level of programming and can actually pick an application and move it from an on-prem situation into Azure and make it work effectively. Okay, interesting. So basically, it's another sort of holding up the mirror to say, why would you again develop your own Own. application when there's a smorgasbord of applications out there that you can pay for as a service. You have more control. You can dial back the levers if you need be. If you don't want you know, satellite radio, great, you can turn that off expense. If you do, it adds value, awesome, turn it on. And again, that goes back to you know, the, the change in the business process, right? So if you can adapt to work in a world where you are out of the box, you're, you're using industry standards or you are using business practices that are cookie cutter, they're applicable, yeah. right? then you don't need that extra level of, of detail or extra level of development that you need. You know, for me, it's leveraging third parties again, right? This is where utilizing consulting services that can not just deploy the application, but they're current on skill sets, right? That, the biggest problem that I think that we have as an organization is keeping current with technologies as they're released. Cloud-based technology is a really good example of that. Info security is a huge example of that. It's changing so rapidly to be able to train your own info security team, to be able to adapt to all the changes that are coming forward, either from a technology perspective or in the case of InfoSec, it's you know advances in malware and the disruption that people are trying to cause the businesses. You need to have very current people. So that talent set is very difficult to keep current if it's your own teams usually. So so where do you, that's interesting, Darren, where do you see the future of technology personnel going for that very reason i mean let's face it you know the, it takes a month to ch- or two to change the landscape whereas before it took years you know and how does that translate i mean even to the point of do we hire full-time professionals going forward or do we just continually leverage third parties? and what's your what, what do you see yeah and again my perspective would be to hire a core group of people that that i call tight ends so i you know People that do one thing, if I'm a quarterback and I throw a ball, if I'm a receiver, I catch a ball, if I'm a running back, I run, right? Theoretically, a tight end is doing all those things, plus blocking, plus you know, doing other things. So to me, having a skill set that's applicable across, I need people that can do different things because yeah. the requirements on that individual change on a regular basis because of that. Clearly, there's like an architect. I, I need really solid architects, and that is a quarterback that I'm going to hire. But most of the other organizations across IT, I'm looking at people that have a versatile background that they can adapt. And then I sprinkle in third-party consultants where I need the effort. 
infrastructure theoretically should be able to be done by third parties dramatically easier than I can do it. So if the situation calls for that, you, ex, you, know, you look externally for a good, solid infrastructure partner that they can end up doing those services. I mean, I want my people working on value-added services to my clients. So what's going to support the business the best? Data scientists are huge right now, right? Somebody that can look at data and grab the data that's required by a business to make decisions every single day. I think that's, that is a huge part of where IT is going that I need someone that can grab data, put it in a way that someone can look at it, analyze it, use it, and then say, oh, can I get this? Can I add this? Can I do this? And just start grabbing information from, from all different components. I think the traditional running of IT, for the most part, if you can't find a third party to do it, you have a very narrow group of people that are doing that within your organization. So again, I, I keep going back to the fact that I think you have a, a smaller core group of people and you're leveraging third parties to be able to provide more specialized services, whether it's in development, whether it's in running InfoSec, whether it's, you know, whatever those services are that you're running. Yeah, and it's funny, it's kind of, if you look across the organization, one area that I think has done this well is payroll. If you look at ADP, which is a business payroll process that has a, a good chunk, people, you know, use them to, to process their payroll. When at first, you could, you could argue ADP was one of the first clouds out there, although yeah. people don't call it that, but it was giving them the information, they would process it and give it back. But to your point, I mean, you know, you need much lower staff, you're relying on a third party that really, that's, that's what they're experts in. It allows you that flexibility where why do you need to get into the details of payroll and build your own payroll systems when you can just that's hand a, it off. That's a great example. I mean, I think, I, I believe I've used ADP at every single company I've been at, yeah. regardless of you know, how big they are or how small they are. So that's a, it's a perfect example of exactly you know, where you want that focus at. I, I don't do payroll. Why would I need to hire payroll people when it can be done you know, more effectively by someone else that does it really well? Yeah. It's, uh, as much as we develop in uh, technology, Still, I, have, I believe that the best technology is still called somebody else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so in, in terms of, you know, we talked about the systems that are heavily customized. We talked about sunk costs. We talked about the staffing. You know, when you look at organizations dealing with this issue, those who have successfully overcome getting out of the Dodge Stratus and getting into something that's maybe, you know, less, more modern and more functional, um, what are some of those things that you would leave our listeners with? I think that it's always going to be a little harder than you anticipate. So I think as, as an executive, deploying a strategy to initiate transformation is significant. And it's significant because it's not just time-consuming, but it takes sponsorship throughout all the organizations because, again, technology touches every part of an organization. So when I sit down in, in my current role, it, it's being able to be clear on how I'm going to accomplish this. So what are the, the primary steps that I need to take to take us from where we are today to where we will be successfully in the future? And then, and why do you want to do that, right? And you want to do that because I believe that I can provide a far more stable, consistent set of services at a lower cost by leveraging, again, either third parties or leveraging you know different platforms that I don't own and then, you know, changing my business processes as I go along. So, you, so what I heard, just to take that, you're making sure that people understand the why. Why do you want to do this? It, lower cost, 
makes us more limbal and makes us more, you know, et cetera. But that's, that's really articulating that value proposition. Correct. Right. I mean, you know, for companies that are global, it becomes even more important that they establish that common set of, of operating practices across the board because typically what happens is European operations, Asian operations, they may not see what you see every day if you're a U.S.-based company. And when you when I travel there, I get the same thing. Well, you don't. I don't understand what you guys are doing. I don't get good communication. In case of Asia, I don't even understand the communication half the time. We're not there yet. You know, we may be a global company, but most companies still struggle managing outside of of their true operations. And again, having that common vision, you know, having a well thought out uh, solution for how you're going to achieve that can resonate through all of those different areas of, 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 a, of an organization and, and starts to, again, it goes back to gaining that sponsorship. You know, if I did a Cisco deployment in China just to get my manufacturing functions to talk with my engineers in California. And it was a WebEx, you know, a video conferencing system that we put in place. They can actually see the people now. The amount of change that happened just by seeing someone in the Chinese factories were significant for operations. We, we started to work closer together. We found out there were more problems that we had not really found out or we would not have understood even if we physically went there and asked the question. And it, it just fostered itself a, a whole different sponsorship. And so that's why I think you know, having that vision, be able to communicate that and getting that support is, is critical. Interesting. So uh, and you mentioned change, and it's funny, as much as we talk about technology and how the landscape's changing, I mean, you brought it up a couple times, is that it really comes down to that human animal, whether it's figuring out, you know, what is that change aspect, letting them know why it's, it's better to move on, or aligning them, or spending time with them, whether you can look them eye to eye and, and sort of understand, but that's such a huge component of, of, of moving these companies forward. And I, I think it's also critical for executives to understand. I mean, it's, I think it's part of my DNA. So I like change. So I, I probably would not have understood that. But based on what I've been asked to do in the last 15 plus years, it, it all it's all about change. You have to really like it. And I'm not sure that people are there yet. You know, I'm not sure people people want stability as they come into work every day and, and they don't want things to necessarily change. But if you look at how a business operates and how dollars are made, changes every day. Yeah. So why would it not change in the support functions or the enablement functions of a, of a group such as IT? Why would it not have the same characteristics of how your products flow or how your revenue flows, right? So Yeah, because I agree. I think most people do. In fact, an earlier Verity cast, somebody who'd done a lot of studies on the brain, and they said, if you divide the, your brain up into five parts, four out of the five Anytime they hear, you know, it hears the word change or whatever it feels, it experiences it as a threat. So you need to be really careful as you approach any kind of change that you don't set off those yeah. alarm bells. I guess, you know, you being thriving in, a, in, in sort of a dynamic environment or change, like what, what do you think makes you different? I mean, how do you look at it? I think it's, to me, it's learned. I mean, because I, I, I would have never thought... As a personal individual, I probably am not much of a change person, right? I kind of go home and have things as stable and things, you know, repetitive, and I'm, I don't live that kind of lifestyle. But I know in the business world, it's a must. You have to look for ways to either constantly reinvent your processes or the services that you're laying out to the customers because, again, it's changing on the product side every day. You know, what they sell service, product, whatever it is, that changes. I mean, if, if you look at the products that we're in now, 
Life Alert is a really good example. Life Alert is help I fall and I can't get up. Everyone's seen the commercials. Those are, we manufacture that, right? Well, if you look at that space, that internet of things, you know, connectivity at home is blowing up. You have Nest, you have the drop cams, you, you, everywhere you go now, there is internet of things in the home. And these are things that are changing every single day. I, I went into uh, Best Buy and the whole front of the store was internet of things connectivity for your home. And these are areas where Nortec needs to continue to step forward and lead because we're in 80% of the homes in America and people probably don't know who we are because everything to do with air management. We do home security systems. We do home theater. We do all these things that we manufacture and other people rebrand. But the point is we're 80% of the homes of America and we need to take advantage of that. So every single day there's pressure on our products to to be the next nest or, you know, be a drop cam or, you know, do we put, uh, you know, Internet of Things chips in our fans? If you walk into your bathroom, you're going to have a brown new tone fan. Everyone has new tone fans in their bathroom. They don't know it, but that's part of the, that's the Nortec company. You know, does it make sense to put in an Internet connected device in your fans? Don't know yet. But the point is, is that these are things that change every single day. And I think for, for me anyways, it resonates that well, if that changes, I need to change because I need to find new ways of getting information or new services into the hands of the people that are making those decisions, whether it's product or engineering or sales, marketing, whatever it might be. Interesting. Yeah, that's a, it's, I've never heard it in that, quite that context, but it's an, and often in life, right? You hear the most seemingly obvious things that end up being profound when you really think about them. And I don't, I don't think a lot of people think about it because in the back office functions, well, that's the way we've done payroll for 25 years. Why would we ever need to change, you know? But exactly, it's changing on the front line. Why wouldn't that impact the, right. the, the back office? So, And again, because technology is interwoven in every aspect of a company, I mean, if you think about it, the CIO roles have changed dramatically. Depending on what your product is, your chief information officer doesn't necessarily have to be an IT person. It could be a marketing person. You know, it could be a product person. It could be an engineering person because it's information, right? And that's where technology is changing. That's where IT is changing, that we really have to embrace the word of information because that, I believe, is the value that we create and bring forward. Yeah, and it's interesting to think about, if you were to think about, okay, how a change can change the back end. Because let's just take an example. I sell you a widget, right? We shake hands. Back in 1950s, I sell you a widget. Now, let's say current day, I don't directly interact with you. I have a website, and you buy, all of a sudden, that widget off of the website. Well, what does that mean? That means you need an infrastructure to capture that order. That means you need to change all of the financial systems to recognize that versus having people recognize that and that, how you pay people. You know, how does that go into the payroll system and pay a person commission or does it because they bought it off a website? I mean, just that one little change impacts so many, so things, many things on the back end. So it's probably the ratio, I don't know, maybe one to 50. One change on the sales side can impact 50 right. things on the back end. So. And, and that goes back to the first problem, right? Everything is so customized and intertwined it's very difficult for most companies to understand when I touch one thing, what is it going to break? Right. And you typically don't know that until it actually breaks. And yeah. then you've lost business disruption. And, and it's, a, it's a very challenging piece of what I'm faced with today, which I think most technology executives are faced with is, so if I, if I do move this, if I change platforms, what is it really going to do? And um, I think it's significant. Have you seen those moments where people actually get it to say, oh, yeah, and if you have, where people are like all of a sudden, okay, I'm going to embrace this change. 
Is there a pattern, or does it depend on the specific individual or executive that you're that you're talking to? It's a very good question. The way I've seen it work is information being there and continuing to point the people that the information's there, information's there, information's there, information's there. So it's more like repetitive success of having information available or the process is available or the process is working is it dawns on them that it works. It, yeah. it, it hasn't seemed to sunk in, you know, so we immediately, one of the organizations I put in, we put in NetSuite. And um, now, which is a year later, there is information that has been there for an entire year that would have helped the leadership team of that business unit understand sales, understand sales margins, forecasting, didn't understand the information's been there all along. And yes, that information has been there for a year. It's here it is. They finally get it now because they see how that information lays out in this new world of data that they didn't have access to a year before. They We replaced a, a system that was 20 plus years old. And again, antiquated systems, antiquated data, heavily customized, and we threw all that out. So to me, it's you have to continue to repeat the same thing you've been telling for the last year to get people to understand, oh, you mean I could have this all along? Yes, because, and here it is. Yeah. That seems to be the way that it's, it's operating the most. I will say that there are some executives that are probably very much technology-focused and are probably getting there sooner and in some ways are driving how they want to see that data. But for the most part, again, I see leaders that are focused on end results, which is right. I mean, you need to focus on sales and, and getting product out and understanding that. And at the end of the day, that, that aha moment really comes from repetition of saying, all right, you know, I'm asking for the same thing. Yes, it's been here. Now, now, I'm, now I've got my hands around or head around what it is that I'm trying to, to understand and grab. So yeah. I think it's more to do with that. And it's not, um, obviously, I mean, you know, that individual, smart individual, very competent at what he does. It's just anybody. It just, it just, uh, he's been used to a system for X number of years doing A, and now all of a sudden it does A, B, C, D, E, and you're like, oh, wow, it's kind of life-changing. I, mean, I remember getting iPhone. It was like, oh, I guess I don't need to carry around... <laughs> my wallet anymore. I guess I don't need to yeah. carry around all these, uh, you know, my Rolodex anywhere or, or business cards everywhere I go, but it takes time. Yeah. And I, you know, what I found to be successful is getting very well aligned technology experts within the business. So I have my set of technologists and specialists. I want the business to have the same thing. I'm not opposed to having a in brand or an end in organization CIO, you know, marketing needs one, sales needs one, somebody that I can go to that understands and embraces technology. If you get those ambassadors or those sponsors within the organization, Mm -hmm. you're going to have a much cleaner path to establish that relationship with the executives within each of those, those lines of businesses or lines of service. So technology just, you know, IT or IT specialist or leadership shouldn't be unique just to IT. It should be present in all functions of a business because, again, they're touching businesses every day, right? I mean, sales and marketing, I'll, I'll help you implement it, but theoretically, you're the ones that are going to run it, right? If you're a marketing or a sales organization, you're the ones that are going to use a CRM, right? I'm just there to make sure it's working and that you get what you need, but every day you're doing something in that system. Yeah. And I have found that having that level of expertise within each of the businesses that use these applications, significant. Just just significantly higher adoption rate, 
more requests for you know enhancements or releases. You know what is it I can do next? And so their level of energy just is heightened once you have that sponsorship within each function of a company. Okay, so to summarize, you build the why, the value proposition. You start to have conversations, and to your point, repeated conversations with those key sponsors, whether it be executives, whether it be in the business. And then over time, that repetition through success to get that buzz, to get that energy, to make sure that people are aware that it's there, that's what you've seen successful in changing organizations through these hard, difficult challenges. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Well, Darren, it has been such a pleasure having you on VerityCast. Appreciate it. Great. Thanks, All right. Chris. Thank All you. right. Cool. Thank you for listening to VerityCast, and please join us again where we will talk with real people about their most valued secrets of leadership, business tips, and success. Catch you next time.